this past prep school soccer season, there was little doubt that one of the top boys goalkeepers was Northfield Mount Hermans, Kamari Hathaway. Now as he departs to go play at Princeton in the Ivy League, Kamari graduates in hand with a Massachusetts Gatorade Player of the Year award. But in our discussion with the Virginia native, we learned a lot more about him as a person, his perspective on the value of prep school soccer, how he's evolved as a player, but more importantly as a person, especially in this moment in time when black voices are coming to the forefront and societal issues are really being discussed in deeper, more meaningful and impactful ways. Before getting into our interview with Kamari, be sure to check us out online at anysoccerjournal.com where you'll find daily content on the New England soccer scene. Right now you can get an all access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, or dorm for $79.99. It's simple. Just log on to anysoccerjournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the plan that's right for you. Now, let's get into it with Kamari, a proud, young, black adult who I think has a lot of interesting perspectives on what's going on in the world. Hey everybody, we are here with Kamari Hathaway, a Northfield Mount Hermon goalkeeper, or rather a, a graduating one who's going off to Princeton in the fall, playing the Ivy League, has done a lot in the prep school soccer space locally before going on to his next step. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. This is, uh, this is an honor and I can't wait to get started. Just wanted to start with, we're connecting shortly after it was made public that you were, or you are the recipient of the 2019-20 Gatorade Massachusetts Boys Soccer Player of the Year. What did that award kind of mean to you? I know you've been fortunate to, to receive various accolades. How do you kind of take those in stride? For me, a lot of these, a lot of these awards have, have been a result of me just having fun. A lot of the time, I don't think about, oh, what am I going to get? What kind of award am I going to get? I've always thought about uh, my team and what I can do for my team in the moment. And, you know, this past season especially, we had such a great group of guys. Probably one of the only teams like this that I've ever been on. Um, so us just having fun, us vibing all the time, us playing the game we wanted to play, that kind of gave me boost. That gave me a lot of boosts of confidence. Just getting these awards, I owe it to, to those guys, to all of them for making me have fun on the field and for allowing me to just be myself on and off the field. And as you mentioned, this year's past group, it was a really special team at Northfield Mount Hermon. You guys, I know, were one game away from potentially going the distance and getting into that Class A final. What would you say was most unique about this year's team? Because there are some talented players, guys like in Augustine Buati, uh, Jake Williams, Keel Brissett, yourself, uh, Gray Hussey, et cetera. The list kind of goes on and on. But what was it, aside from the talent, that you think made this group so unique? The big part of this team was the leadership. Um, a bunch of guys stepped up this year in ways that I have never seen, you know, young guys and old guys step up before. You know, there were, there were so many different uh, levels of talent on the team, but everybody combined into one. I saw there were a lot of times when Keel would be on like a reserve team on practice, in a practice, but he would lift them up. The energy would be so much higher. Uh, you know, that team would make come out winning if they weren't on my team, if they weren't trying to score on me. My of team course not, of course, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of it this year was the leadership. And Jake stepped up, Keel stepped up, Connor stepped up, Ben stepped up. Everybody that I can think of in the starting 11 and even outside of that stepped up into a role. We kind of just fed off of one another and that kind of, that really just, helped our team bond and grow as one. 
And before kind of you're able to have this special senior year experience, you're, of course, coming from outside of the region. You're a guy from the D.C., Virginia area playing with D.C. United's Academy, got a taste of the U.S. Youth National Team experience a little bit. Take me into that decision to depart that academy environment and go to prep school, because that's not one that we hear of all the time. For me, a lot of my life, it's been about uh, academics over athletics. And my motto is that, you know, you can lose, you can lose your athletic ability in half a second. You know, there are a lot of things on the field that you can't control. Yeah, there, there are just so many things that, that are uncontrollable and you can lose that all in half a second. But it's really hard to lose, lose your brains in that quick of a time as well. So taking a leap from D.C. United and the national team to come to prep school was really a leap of faith for me. I really had faith in what Charlie and Jim were trying to do with the program while also maintaining my academic portfolio. So yeah, a lot of it was just, it was just taking a leap of faith and being like, you know what, I have faith in what I can do on the field. Now it's time to take my academics and, and take it to the next level because where I'm from, yeah, the academics are good, but it's not where I want it to be. As you mentioned that leap of faith, were there nerves and or hesitation at first? Because I don't know, I mean, you, you know that decision intimately far more than anyone else would. I don't know if people were rooting in your corner saying, yeah, go do this. There might've been people who were, I want to say holding you back maybe, but were maybe not as big of a proponent. Yeah, this was, oh, this was something I've battled with for so long. I had coaches talk to me and they were telling me that I wasn't going to get the same looks. I wasn't going to get as much exposure. I wouldn't be considered for the national team. There were a bunch of my teammates that my teammates were more supportive, but for me, I had a lot of internal conflict because I really was struggling with, you know, I had, I was 14, I was getting all of these looks and I was so, I was so excited, you know, like all the nerves were going through my body and I was like, Oh, this is exciting. This is exciting. There was another part of me that was like, let's step out of that for a moment. Let's take that all away for a moment and see what you're left with. You know, if I, God forbid, tore my ACL, you know, and was out for a couple seasons. Like, what does that look like moving forward? You know, it was a really hard decision. And there were even some hesitations when I was at NMH, like my sophomore year when we didn't make playoffs. It was a really tough year. I wanted to transfer. I wanted to do everything. And I had a lot of impulsives or impulsive decisions that I wanted to make. But then I just said, hold on, let's have faith in the system. And then ultimately it paid off in the end. And as you mentioned, having those aspirations, those looks, where were you always kind of trying to aim for? Because every player has goals. And I don't know if you come into an NMH environment and say, okay, I want to play Ivy League soccer. Or I want to be at a maybe just more blanketly high-level academic school. What was that aspiration for you? Because as you mentioned, it sounds like there are people who might have said you might not be able to reach that if you're in this pathway versus the one you were previously in. At first, my aspiration was to go to like uh, was to go to like a school like UNC, Stanford. You know, the high, like the really top, like top five academic, but also athletic schools. But then, as I went down the recruiting process, I realized that you know, not being an academy, I kind of suffered with that bit because a lot of the time, I mean, with you know, they they recruit guys like Yuseni, Quabena. But it was really hard, especially for a goalkeeper with their goalkeeping situation, to get into their lineup. So, you know, my, my priorities shifted midway through my sophomore year, and I started to open my eyes to other schools. And, and that's when, you know, when the All-State Cup rosters came out. And, yeah, the rest just happened. <laughs> As you mentioned, obviously going to play at Princeton. Um, what does that opportunity kind of represent 
to you because you've referenced how much you are passionate about the academic side of things. I think it's going to be a test. I think it's going to be a very big test because not only do you have a very, a very good soccer program, you have one of the best, you have one of the best academic schools that you could, you could ask for. So, you know, being able to balance academics, athletics, social, you know, it's nothing that it, it, it's nothing new, but it's definitely going to be a test. And uh, for me, it just represents a new chapter where, and a new chapter for me and, and a new level of maturity that I have to reach in order to, you know, maintain my academic side and my athletic side, as well as keeping up with social stuff. Yeah. And as you've talked so much about the academic portion, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about where those motivations slash that passion comes from. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all been ingrained in me with my mom. Uh, mostly, it's not really been forced upon me by her, but more of a motivation to make her proud. Um, when I was when I was younger, we started. I started learning at a. I started learning at a very young age. Went to a lot of different, you know, a lot of different day schools and all that. But most of my work was with my mom. She taught me a lot of the things that I knew uh, at a very young age. So you know, since I was like two or three education has kind of been at my forefront. Um, we've been doing a bunch of stuff since, since that age. So being able to manifest that into something greater um, and not just look for an, an athletic opportunity, but make the most out of athletics and academics, I think that would pay dividends down the road. As you talk about having that even as young as two, three, four years old, were there moments that I'm sure around the, the family table nowadays where they're poking fun at the the I don't know, the five-year-old Kamari who would come up and try to tell everyone the, the fun facts about whatever. I mean, everyone has oh, yeah. those family stories. There has to be some, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So my uncle is very famous within our family um, for having these philosophical talks. You know, he'll just like sit you down one day, no matter what age you are, he'll just start talking, start talking. And I remember one time we were, we were having one of these conversations and he was just talking about, uh, oh, there's a, there's an I and there's a, there's a me and there's a we, and it was something so philosophical. I was like six years old, like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about, but here, this is, this is pretty cool. We can look at this. This is something I understand. And it was, it was just like, it was like you said, it was just like a random fact. And then we went into that. So, um, there are a lot of times where I used some of these random things, um, to deflect, <laughs> um, like in situations like that. But a lot of, a lot of what I've learned is just like, for example, when I was two years old, I knew how to read an analog clock, but that's just, that's just cause my mom was just like, you know, what? we're just going to do this. Um, and it was just a bunch of little, little random things that, that triggered my want to learn. You know, I've always wanted to learn that, that I think triggered it early. So I guess like the, the philosophical talks now with my uncle are, are pretty good. Like I can, I can hold my own in those. But when I was younger, I was like, nah, dude, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, six years old versus 17, 18. I mean, there's a huge difference between those two things. And <laughs> as we kind of talk about in a broader sense, the theme of development, I'm curious to hear kind of your thoughts on how you think you've grown as a goalkeeper. Well, obviously for, for development, there's going to be the physical side and there's going to be the mental side, right? So I think I'll get into the physical side first. I came into NMH at like 5'10", 140. And you were a kid. You were a kid at the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's, there's no shame in that. What I didn't understand 
you know, like a lot of it was the aerial stuff, you know, and, and Academy. Yeah. There's like aerial balls, but not everybody is, you know, not everybody is huge, like six two, wanting to beat the crap out of you in the box. So uh, when I first, I got my first taste of that a preseason and I was like, Oh, this is different. You know, over the years. Yeah. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of what I worked on. You know, I knew I wasn't going to grow that much. So I was like, okay, let's get springy. Let's try to, let's try to get up for those balls. And that's something I really take pride on today that I, that I, that my decision-making in the air has been a lot cleaner and that my execution with those have been a lot cleaner, but apart from the physical side that I've seen, um, you know, with getting more springy and all that, the mental side of my game has switched dramatically because in, in Academy, it's been all about, Oh, me, 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 me. What can I do for me? What can I do to get exposure? What can I do to get better as a player? It was never about team. And I think that is one of the biggest parts to me as a player today. It, it, now it's not about me. It's all about team. You know, I, I want to see my guys progress. I want to see my guys get more confident. I, you know, I want to see myself grow. But as a leader on, on my NMH team, as a junior and senior, I wanted to see my other guys grow and I wanted to see them succeed. So I think that was the biggest switch for me in terms of my mental my mental game was just taking taking away from myself and focusing on the aspect of team and focusing on the aspect of other players gaining confidence in order to build themselves as men and as players on the field. Yeah, and as you mentioned that last part there, I mean, I don't take it as you're putting down the academy environment at all, but I think there is something to be said for what the two systems and pathways try to kind of promote because I do hear from others as well that it's, Sometimes the vibes of academy may be a little bit more individually centered, whereas prep school can be a little bit more team focused. Can you expand upon that? It's so because you're a guy who's experienced both. And like I said, I don't think you're trying to put one down versus the other, but I think there's definitely something to be said for what the prep school environment tries to promote as well. Yeah, no, my, by all means, the academy system has, has its pros and prep school, you know, has its pros and cons academy has its pros and cons yeah i just think one of the one of the pros of academy is that it's it's a very high level um all the time you're playing you're playing players that you know that want to get to d1 usl mls you know professional aspirations well yeah exactly but i think the downside to that as well is when you get caught up in that a lot of it you know you turn to oh what can i do in order to get to that next level uh, whereas in prep, you know, there, there are some times when you may play teams that are less talented and that's, that's fine. But a big focus in prep is, is team and is playing as a unit and it is playing as playing as one essentially where, you know, you just, you know, the, for example, the prep high school soccer playoffs they're much different from a regular DA game. That's much more like team focus. You're like, come on boys. Like we have to play as one. Whereas in a DA game as a, as like a right or left back, sometimes you can just sit back and watch your center forward, do all the work and score a bunch of goals. I don't know. It's, 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 they're very, com they're completely different environments, but they all have pros and cons. And I just happen to find more pros in the, in the prep in the prep school system for myself, you know, for others, it might be different. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an individual decision that makes sense for some people versus others. And I just kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit as well. I mean, we're, we're connecting as I think all listeners know um, during mm -hmm. a, a moment in American history where there's 
a lot of tension. It's a very serious conversation related to uh, race relations, inequalities, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I come at this from the perspective of a white guy in his mid-20s who won't pretend to know what it's like. Um, you're a relatively successful black soccer player in the Northeast. You've been able to carve out a really prominent path for yourself. What has this been like for you? Where, like I said, I won't pretend to know the answers. So I just kind of wanted to give you the platform and opportunity to kind of voice what it's been like to experience this. It's been interesting because this isn't something that we're new to you know uh we've this hashtag this this movement this black lives matter movement has been has been around for so long but when i saw the video when many other black people saw the video of um george floyd's neck getting pinned down um under the knee of that police officer something snapped you know um something changed and and it's not it's not to say that you know everybody well, actually, everybody, everybody was just sick and tired of what was going on um, in America. And for me personally, I've been, I've been so sick of the system. I've been so sick of microaggressions. And I think that's one of the things in, in prep school that people don't realize is that uh, there are some instances where people just don't understand. And it's not necessarily that they're, I'm not going to call them straight up racist, but it's just that they don't understand and they don't have the peace of mind or sometimes they have uh, they don't want to understand. Yeah, this is this just isn't something that we're new to. So yeah, when that happened, it, everything switched, and I'm not necessarily at the forefront of all that. You know, we saw the coronavirus going on, and my family's been pretty cautious about that. So uh, we've been active in other ways. Um, we've signed positions. I've called my local officials, officials sent letters and all that, and I've tried to be a voice within the black community. But you know. It's just being where I am, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And I think that taking, you know, all these, all these accolades and all these things and using my platform, I want, to, I want to be a spark of hope. You know, I don't want to have hope. I want to be a hope. I think that's very important for, for, young, for young Black men in America to adopt today. You, instead of having hope and instead of having hope for the system to change, you want, a, when you want to just be a hope and you want to, take you want you want to take um you want to take action and you want to be a part of your community not only you know by actively doing the things like like signing petitions and all that but being 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 a voice for change and being there for the people that may not understand and being there for for those who who are ignorant and who seemingly don't want to understand so that you can get the get the discourse and everything going so I know that was a large rant, but it's, it's been on my mind for, for a while. This is just a, an idea that's come to mind when, I mean, I, I was watching recently a, a video portion of a podcast that involved uh, DeMarcus Beasley. Um, I think it's fair to say one of the most accomplished black soccer players in U.S. men's national team history. And he was talking about various ways where he kind of always felt he had to maybe adjust certain ways to act or, or, or behave or, or certain things you're taught as a kid that we don't really realize from afar. Did you ever experience something like that? I know it's a personal question, but were there ways where you felt at times that you had to adjust your, how you were kind of putting yourself out there in the world? I think with all, all or most, I'm pretty sure all, um, young black men in America, their parents had 
like the conversation with them um, when they were a very young child. My mom told me a lot about, you know, when police talk to you or when, or when you get pulled over. Um, always have your ID on you. Never wear a do-rag in public. Never wear your hood in public. And there are just so many, so many other different things that you're more vulnerable to as a, as a black man. And it's scary. 10, 11, 12, you don't want to be, that's when everything snaps into gear. You know, my mom got so scared. And, and I think that's, that's where I get this level of, you know, wanting to, to take, I want to take action and I want to be a voice because there are a lot of people that just don't understand. You know, my friends at NMH, a lot of them, why can't, why doesn't your mom let you wear a do-rag in public? Why wouldn't your mom want you to wear a hoodie? Why don't, why is it so important for you to have your ID on you? And I'm like, oh, you guys just really don't understand, which is fine. But if we're going to have those uncomfortable conversations with one another, we have to have them, I think, straight up. And I think they need to be done as soon as possible because right now we're in, we're in a place in history where things are changing every single day, like you said. I think this is the time we really need to crack down on those uncomfortable conversations and those, those dialogues in order to truly understand one another and to truly understand the black community. For you as a soccer player too, have you ever seen or experienced issues of racism that might've been perceived either as slight or major? Um, I, I don't want to project if there haven't been, but are, are there times where maybe there are little things even that we don't, we meaning a broader public don't perceive as coming across in that way, but for someone in your shoes, might look at it a little differently. And like you mentioned, those are those hard conversations that I think are sometimes important to have. Yeah, there have been, and, it, and it's sad, you know, we're in, you know, I had my, I had my, most of my time in the prep school from 2017 to 2020. That's not something you really want to, want to see or be a part of, but you know, it happens. And there are people that say things that are sometimes regrettable. I've seen it happen to, to guys on my team. And, you know, at that point, you kind of have to, you kind of just look at the people and you're just like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that you were raised with so much hate in your heart, you know, with so much, with so much hate towards other people and, and that you can't really understand what's going on in our lives um, to understand why what you said is so impactful. And, you know, there, there was one time when I, when I broke out and I lost it, but other times they're just like small little things, uh, little microaggressions and little like stereotypical things that people say. And it's kind of just like, dude, come on. Like, that's not, that's not, there's no place for hate on the soccer field, you know? And, and it's just, it's one of those things that you see nowadays and you kind of frown upon, but you know, 90% of my, my experience on the pitch has been, has been so positive, but it's that 10% sometimes that, that sticks with you in your head. Understandably so. And I would add too that what are maybe some ways people can be more proactive and kind of better allies or kind of stewards of these issues that have really come to the forefront in American culture? Like how can the soccer community be better? Um, which is a very blunt way to put it. I think the only way to be better is to actively engage in conversation and address the situation when it happens, because there's no other, there's no other way to really address it. You can't come back after the fact and be like, Oh, a day later or something after a game, you'd be like, Oh dude, what you said the other day wasn't cool. The person isn't going to, isn't going to care at that point. You know, it happened and the, the moment already passed, you know, there was a game actually, I won't say who it was with, but there was a game this past year when uh, we beat a team and then one of their guys looked at Augustine 
or said to Augustine, go back to your freaking country. And, and then they were like, speak English. And all of our guys were just like, like a bunch of guys in our, in, in our midfield heard it. And they were just like, dude, come on. Like, why, why do you have to say this? It's, yeah, we're beating you, but it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to, you don't have to come at Augustine with this much hate. I think that their teammates did great. You know, they, they um, came, they went to the guy, talked to him about it, basically scolded him for it, came up to Augustine, said they were sorry about it, and that they were working on, they were working on moving forward with this guy. And it's just, it's just weird, too, a lot of it. Because, like, when I, when I hear something or when something happens to me, I'm like, there's, like, three black dudes on your team, man. You're not only talking to I me. Mean, you're talking to those three as well. Guys that you, put, that you call your brothers, you know? That's, that's not, that's just, that's just very, that's not really constructive in my, in my eyes. And yeah, people do have just outbursts of things that they say to get under your skin. People don't realize how, how impactful some of those things may be. If, if you're just trying to be, if you're just trying to get under somebody's skin and say something like, yeah, okay, but you have to realize what that comes with and what kind of baggage that comes with a lot of the time. So I think that teammates taking responsibility for their other, for other teammates' actions and having those dialogues with their teammates, even if it's, you know, white guy to white guy, just one group to another group, it really helps helps the progression of, you know, not only the Black Lives Matter movement and making sure black lives truly do matter in the United States um, and on the soccer field, but it allows for other conversations and for other minority groups to be heard as well. It sounds like you're saying that there's still a lot of work to be done. There's always going to be that group. You know, and soccer is, like I said, 90% of my experiences on the, no, 95%, I'd say, my experiences on the field have been so positive. Winning and losing, I've always learned lessons. I've always been a part of some great moments and some bad moments. But that's, that's, that, that comes with the game, you know. Losing last minute, that comes with the game. But what shouldn't come with the game is somebody running by you during a corner and just calling you the N-word for no reason, you know. Um, what shouldn't happen is people on the field after a game uh, telling you to go back to your country, telling you to speak English. You know, that's, that's, that shouldn't be a part of the game. Uh, I think everybody, I think a lot of people realize this. And there have been so, there's been so many, or so much support uh, in Europe, especially here in the United States, in Spain, and so many different professional leagues that have said there is no place for racism in the sport. And there have been so many people that have taken that on and so many people that, you know, that aren't black or that aren't, or that aren't uh, Hispanic or that aren't Asian that have taken that on and really, you know, held their teammates accountable for their actions, which is, which is amazing. I think that, you know, the soccer community is one of the best communities for that. Um, but there's always going to be that side group that is ignorant to that fact and is ignorant to the fact that, you know, or ignorant to the fact of how inclusive this game is and how many, how many different groups of people play it. Have there been any moments that have really resonated with you, not maybe just in soccer, but from professional athletes? Because yes, we all want to be our own voice, but I think when you see it from others as well who are in those high-profile positions, that really speaks to kids like yourself, perhaps. So curious if there's been anything that's kind of resonated with you particularly. Now more than ever, I've seen so many celebrities, not just in soccer community, take, take responsibility and, and try to understand, you know? Yeah, like Jaden Sancho, his celebration for Rest in Peace George Floyd. Weston McKinney with, the, with his armband. And so many different teams doing their, their kneel around the circle. Um, and it's around the center circle. And, and it, it's been really heartwarming 
to see all those things. I've really, I've, I've thought about this a lot and I've thought about ways that I could, I could do something. And it's unfortunate that I'm not playing right now. Um, but seeing all these people with platforms, use their platforms for good instead of, you know, just going about their days acting like something isn't happening in the United States and across the world right now. It's really heartwarming to see. It's, it's really, it's really great to see all these professional athletes and soccer players using their platform to be like, Hey, this is something we need to focus on. And this is something we need to move to move through together. You can't just be like, Oh, this is a black lives matter movement. Only black people have to focus on this. No, everybody has to take a sort of responsibility and everybody has to take a responsibility and, and moving forward because without, you know, if, if black people don't feel comfortable on the pitch or if other minority groups don't feel comfortable on the pitch, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be less inclusive and it's going to feel like a less, less inclusive sport. So when we have everyone of every, every skin color taking action and trying to make this movement and uh, take away racism, you know, it's really, it's really heartwarming to see. As much as this, uh, say, I mean, it's been a very important and I think serious and empowering conversation we've had. I wanted to kind of put a bow on things in a, maybe an upbeat way. I know a lot of kids in prep school, they have to sometimes go outside of their comfort zone, let's say, with doing different co-curriculars and doing different things at the schools that maybe they wouldn't normally do. You're not just a soccer player. There's been other things. Is there an example maybe of your time at NMH where there's another side of Kamari Hathaway that people might not know or realize? People that don't go to NMH know that, or no, people that don't go to NMH don't know that I'm actually, I actually do acapella and other things that I'm a part of, but acapella has been, we're in the studio, we're recording or not recording, but we're, we're rehearsing and all that. It's just, it's such a release. And I remember, you know, after a long day or, you know, there was even, even one day after a game, um, when I had experienced something uh, on the field that was just not great, one of those 5% moments, I went to acapella and completely forgot about it. A lot of freshmen or underclassmen go into their programs just thinking that they're a soccer player. I did that, you know. I went in, I was like, okay, I'm just a soccer player. I'm going to focus on soccer and do academics and be done and graduate and go to whatever school I end up going to. You know, through my time, I was like, I need to take advantage. I need to take advantage of the resources that I have and I need to explore myself as a person because exploring yourself as a person is one of the, the most important things you can do while you're alive. So I tried out for acapella, you know, I, I actually did um, something for theater. I never thought I'd do that. Um, I did a one act and I was a 77 year old man with dementia. Uh, you wouldn't expect that, right? A lot of the experiences that I've had on campus have really helped me find myself. And I think that you know, not just, not just black kids in prep school, not just, you know, not just kids in prep. Um, I think kids all over um, will realize that, you know, there's more to them than just their sport and they need to, they need to go out, find themselves and, and do everything they can because, you know, you don't know who you'll meet. You don't know what kind of experiences you'll have and you don't know what lessons you'll learn being in these things. And, you know, acapella has taught me a lot of lessons. I've met a lot of people and I've experienced some, some pretty great things. That's pretty cool. Um, and I will say the, the running joke about acapella sometimes is there's always the cheesy names for the, the groups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what you guys, yeah, yeah. What do, would you guys have? Yeah, so um, <laughs> ours is North, Northfield Mount Harmony. <laughs> Very clever. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah. 
And um, the other one that I, that the, so that's the co-ed group I'm a part of. And there's an all boys group that's called uh, Hogapella uh, because of our, our, our mascot. Hoggers, yeah. Hog. Are you hoping to continue with it at Princeton? I mean, balancing that with soccer and school, I, I don't know for sure, but I mean, that might be difficult. Yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take the first year to get, to get adjusted, but I definitely want to continue. I definitely want to, want to continue. I'm, I'm here at home. You know, my mom and my brother and sister go on walks with the dogs. So then I kind of look around, take that as my opportunity to, to crank whatever, and then just start singing. You know, the other day I was singing, uh, what was it? Chandelier by Sia. I was just going in. You know, I can't hit those on a bass, but I was just going in. So, you know, that's one of those things. It's just, it's just a release. It just lets you have fun. Not just a goalkeeper. Not just, yeah, not, not just a soccer guy. Not just a goalkeeper. Kamari, this has been a great talk. I really appreciate you being so open and honest and learning more about your path. And I know a lot of younger guys look up to you as well with what you've been able to accomplish. And I hope they can take um, those moments of inspiration and kind of power their own path through the soccer world because I think there's a lot to take from that. And just want to end with a big thank you and looking forward to following your path as you keep on going. It's been really great. This, this, uh, this podcast has been, you know, it's allowed me to, it's allowed me to take a look at myself um, and take a look at what I've done, not only in prep school, uh, but, but my impact as a, as a black player and as a person. So, so thank you, John. Uh, it's been great. As we close out our show, our Around the Pitch segment is brought to you by the Barca Residency Academy. Learn the unique Barca style of play, train in world-class facilities, and improve your technical and tactical skills while lodging at their premier sports campus. Up first is the eventual return of the New England Revolution. After going on pause for what's now been over three months due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the MLS's back tournament was recently announced with a July 8th start down in Florida. The Revolution are drawn into a group that includes DC United, Montreal Impact, and Toronto FC. And as a quick reminder, the Revs actually started their 2020 season back in late February and early March. So they have two games under their belt as the MLS slate gets back underway. Second, college conferences are starting to announce adjusted schedules for the fall. Already out are the CAA, Atlantic 10, and Big East, and we have pieces at our website on all three decisions, and we'll be sure to track others with more updates as they come out over the following weeks and months. And lastly, we've been running our high school watch list at nesoccerjournal.com. Be sure to check those out under the high school section at our site, and we'll have more updates coming out. And that's been Around the Pitch is brought to you by the Barca Academy. Secure your spot today by visiting barcaacademy.com camps and tell them New England Soccer Journal sent you. And that's a wrap. I want to give a big, big thanks to Kamari Hadaway for coming on, plus all of our listeners for tuning in. Until next time, I'm your host, Jonathan Siegel, and you've been listening to New England Soccer Journal, a Siemens Media Podcast.